This is Bobby Guy with the 10 Minute Health BizCast. This is album 7, track 10. This is part two of our interview with Paul Keckley. I wonder if there's an opportunity to take employers and sort of healthcare providers and maybe the insurers as well and start designing or at least have groups of those start designing the new models for it and then feeding those back to the government as opportunities. Yeah, I mean, there it's already happening, as you know. Um, there's a lot of private investment in new models of preventive and primary care where prophylactic dentistry and mental and physical medicine and nutrition and other things are rolled into a new model. That's largely what a lot of the private equity bets are. But can that be rolled into the federal government? Yeah, and it's being done incrementally by CMS that tends to think of how does this harm the least accessible in populations instead of the masses, which is understandable, right? Access and equity and all the same stuff that, you know, Fortune 500 boards on their DEI and their ESG consideration are thinking about. What CMS begins with is I can't disenfranchise another small group of people to move the needle forward. So we have to enable the court system to allow for new ways of thinking about the greater good, which we haven't. We're still thinking about the haves and the have-nots, and policy is then kind of brought to a screeching halt because the have-nots don't get the same level of service as the haves. What we should be doing is integrating the haves and have-nots into a system that performs substantially better and performs better for all populations instead of, you know, dissecting the haves and have-nots. One of the things that hits me is how many of the laws that we've come up with over the last call it 50 years, have been intended to actually perpetuate the employer-sponsored health insurance model, right? Because it's been breaking down. Like (laughs) age discrimination, the gig economy, the fights over part-time versus full-time, all of this is trying to figure out how to deal with healthcare benefits. Are you watching that trend and do you have any ideas about it? Well, yeah. I mean, of course, the Bureau of Labor Statistics breaks down uh, the economy into you know eleven big industry groups, and when you look at certain types of industries, there it's a foregone conclusion that health benefits per se as a benefit for employees is yesterday. There's something different tomorrow. So in transportation, light manufacturing, uh, retail, restaurant, entertainment industries. Those benefits are individual benefits that you purchase. That employer tax exemption is limited to a handful of corporate level employees, and that's getting constrained more. On the other end of the scale, in those 11, you've got government and healthcare and the financial services industry, where rich benefits serving as many employees as you can is kind of the standard. And the tax exemption benefit there is over $300 billion. It's a huge deal for the CFO to be able to take that tax exemption and still pass on 75% of the annual cost increase to the employee. 
So I think that comes to an end. I don't think that is our future. I think the tax exemption will go away because the government needs money and because in a gig economy, more and more of this work is not being done by employees. And we have to remember in our political cycles, more and more people are disgusted with the status quo and recognizing that there may be a different approach to this. So I think the all you have to have is 60% of a population to make a major policy change. I think employer tax exemption for health benefits will be one of those. Think about those industries. Think about school systems and government employees, healthcare, banks. We have in our jobs and of course law firms, we have rich benefits that benefits us in terms of it's a non-taxable benefit and the federal government's not collecting any income tax from us for getting that benefit. But think about a bigger set of questions about fairness and parity. Is that the right way to go about thinking about health care? If the health benefit that the employer structures for us were like, you know, what we eat, we'd all be eating filet and shrimp every meal. <laughs> but that's contributed to a disconnect with those that don't have employer sponsored insurance. So I think that's a big societal issue, and I think it hits the fan in the period of six to eight years out when we have a discussion about, quote, a single-payer system, not a government-run system, private doctors, private hospitals, a lot of private stuff, but does the system evolve to a regional-payer system in which everybody's going to receive a fixed amount to buy their health care? And is that a possibility that in some red states replaces the way healthcare has been delivered? And the thing to remember is there's bipartisan support for substantial changes to the healthcare system. It's not like the Republicans are holding out for the status quo of private system and the Democrats are holding out for, you know, Medicare for all. There is a belief that the system is fundamentally off track. And that's the reason you're seeing these bipartisan bills chipping away at PBMs, enforcing price transparency. Price transparency was a Trump thing that Biden took and then doubled down. So the industry is under duress and employer sponsored insurance has been a contributor to there's some people that call it the original sin of the U.S. system. So I think it'll be on the chopping block. So let me ask you as we close, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing about healthcare in the U.S., what would it be? I guess a standard of care based on evidence that's accessible to all. We're the only developed system in the world that doesn't have ready access to the science on which healthcare diagnoses, and therapies and treatments are based. We let all that be at the discretion of an insurance company or a clinician or somebody else. So I think an engine, and if you remember in the Affordable Care Act, we have PCORI, Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute, but we never implemented it. And the intent was where something is supported by the evidence, we should make that evidence readily accessible to Joe Sixpack, never hide this, 
And where the evidence says there's something we should be doing, then we standardize it and we create competitive markets for that. And where the evidence says it should be limited or it's suspect, then we should say that's not something the government's going to support. If you want to use your money and go do it, fine. But we are we are only going to support things for which there's evidence. That would open a discussion about why 30% of what we do isn't necessary and would release monies to the things that we know work that we don't do too much, like the current debate over obesity drugs. You know, those are out of pocket $1,000 a month for people, and yet it shows great efficacy and effectiveness for addressing some of the weight issues we have. So I think that would open a whole new way of thinking about healthcare in this country, but we've not taken that seriously. Paul, thanks very much for being with us. Always enjoy. Thank you, Bobby. This has been the 10-Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us.